Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I am Santa, the maker and distributor of toys. And also um, under investigation by the ILO International Labour Organization. <laughs> no comment. Those L's do not have a contract. I do not recognise those claims and all guidelines were followed at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Hello Kevin, how are you? I'm good, I'm full of the festive cheer. Two days to go. Well, exactly. I mean, um, there's not. There's over three weeks to go, but, you know, we've got to pretend. Well, yeah. I mean, much like the Hooter Nanny. <laughs> Recorded in April or some fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, unfortunately for eggnog fans, there are only a limited number of noggy days left. <laughs> Two sweet noggy days to go. <laughs> Before the government takes it away. So, is eggnog just avocado? I think so, yeah. Just fucking call it Avocar then. Americans, what is eggnog? Yeah, please please explain, because um, we're not quite sure, but Homer seems to think it's delicious. So, so well, there's a Dutch spirit called Avocar, which is made with eggs, uh, and it's horrible, <laughs> but it often goes into snowballs. So is mm-hmm. that what eggnog is? Is know. it a snowball? Yeah, exactly. Tell us, please. Uh, shall we talk about some music? Uh, no, let's let's just have a big old advocate chat. I mean, we could talk about the drink. We can talk about dick advocate. You know, we could indeed. Uh, let's play devil's advocate. Hey, <laughs> uh, Kev, what album are we doing today? So we're going to do a Motown Christmas by various artists, right? And why? Because it's a Christmas album, <laughs> and it's Christmas time, and yeah. it's Christmas time, and we did a Christmas album the week before, and I suppose of the versions of Christmas songs, these two albums contain most of the most famous versions that you will have heard of. Yeah, and none of the versions that Michael Bublé destroyed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Before we do start going through a Motown Christmas, though, it's my pick for Video Killed the Radio Star. And I have not picked a Christmas video. You have not. It's very (laughs) un-Christmassy. It is very un-Christmassy. So, the video I've chosen... It's quite recent, uh, from November of this year, in fact. It's the video to Follow Me Around by Radiohead. So, Follow Me Around, it was part of the three-disc Kid Amnesiac release, which was the the, the double album of Kid A and Amnesiac, Mm -hmm. as well as a disc of, of unreleased songs. This is one of those unreleased songs. Apparently, it was originally recorded in 1997, to me, you can tell because it sounds very okay computerish in, in the way it sounds. It's a belter. It is a belter. It's a really, really good song. Let's just get that out of the way. The video was directed by us. No, I mean, not not us, not Kev and I. We're not that <laughs> talented. It was directed by the directing duo of Chris Barrett and Luke Taylor, who call themselves us. Uh, it stars Guy Pearce of LA Confidential and Memento fame. And Neighbours. And, of course, Neighbours, yes. Most famously of all. Of course. Didn't he have an infronglement with Daphne, uh, Daphne after Des died? Des didn't 
die? I'm sure Daz died. No, Daphne died, and then Des got together with Plain Jane Super Brave. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fucking hell. Wasn't he in the Flying Doctors as well? <laughs> but not Shortland Street. No, that was New Zealand. Like Russell Crowe. And the fellow that played um, Boba Fett's dad in uh, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, right, okay. So, in the video, Guy Pearce is basically chased around his flat and through suburban London by some sort of an unseen, unseen evil spec set yeah you know and that's what i really like about the video is that yes at no point at no point do you actually see what the thing is i really like that so in that way that the unseen evil it reminds me a lot of karma police yeah the difference being in karma police you do see at the end what the unseen Mm -hmm. evil is and and in this one you don't and i agree i do like that a lot I also like the fact. So it's shot on. It's shot on a mini drone, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think it's really clever uh, with such simple technology. I also like the fact the low res footage. It mm-hmm. does make it look like it's been recorded onto a VHS tape. It's like he's being chased by like a fucking huge fly. <laughs> so I have some notes for Mister Pierce, if I may. Mm-hmm. Right, he doesn't wipe his ass after doing a shit. <laughs> That's a concern. He then doesn't use soap to wash his hands. And there's no fucking way that's 20 seconds, guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> he did. I mean, he didn't sing happy birthday or not. <laughs> no, exactly. And he's got a fucking can of Raid on the sink. Just fucking other bug repellents are available. Just fucking pick up the can of Raid and spray the fucking thing. And it's gone. Done. Finished. Yeah. And I mean, he, he likes it in the middle of London, out in his dressing gown and slippers. <laughs> exactly. Le- presumably leaving the flat door open. And, like, why doesn't the bug just fucking go back out the boot of the car at the end? <laughs> well, presumably the boot's gone down. You don't see that, though, do you? You're assuming. <laughs> well, it's a bug. Like, I mean, you've seen how... Um, conf- Flies are fucking stupid. <laughs> well, you've seen how confused uh, moths get by light. <laughs> Oh, it's the moon! I'm gonna, fu- I'm gonna go round it. Being serious for a second, I think Guy Pearce is great in this yeah. video. He does a really good scared face. He really does, and yeah, that you you do genuinely have that feeling of panic and fear that mm. it comes across really well. Yeah, it does. He's not bad at the acting. No, he is not bad at the acting. So, on appearing in the video, uh, he tweeted on the day it was released. It's not every day you find a free working toaster on the side of the road. It's also not every day you get to be in a Radiohead video clip. But both happened a few weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, why are you, why are you picking so, up? Fucking, I've got all sorts. Why are you picking up someone else's toaster? You're a Hollywood star. <laughs> I know. Maybe those flying doctors' royalty checks have dried up. Um, or, like, he's a bit like Tom Hanks, because Tom Hanks has an obsession with old typewriters. So maybe Guy Pearce is banging to toasters. Yeah, but on the side... Has he been down the local tip and said, oh, there's a fucking toaster there, I'll have that. 
he's just like searching around the tip, like, and so he's found a perfectly good working toaster and also a Mr. Sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Early Simpson shout yet again. Kev, we're going to get sued at some point. Matt Groening is going to go for us big style. There's other ones he'll go after before us. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway. Kev, we've got 24 tracks to go through. We'd best get a wriggle on. Well, we haven't got a huge amount of background, so we'll, no. we'll be able to crack in. But, uh, but yeah, a really good video, a really good song, as ever. We will tweet out the link. Check it out, because it's a treat. Yeah, it's a belter. Okay, so, a Motown Christmas. Originally released as a 2LP set by Motown on September the 25th, 1973. Can I just say, fucking September, three months early. Come on, fellas. And it's essentially a compilation of Christmas songs recorded by the label's coterie of artists over the course of the 60s and early 70s. A lot of them had been on the 1968 UK compilation, Merry Christmas from Motown, but a lot of the Jackson 5 ones were later additions to it because they hadn't hadn't had um, the same level of success. And the oh, okay. uh, the Jackson's Christmas album, which a lot of them were pulled from, was uh, I think it was recorded in 71? 70. 70, I apologise. So, yeah, the, the albums from which the songs are taken, or the majority of the songs are taken, the Jackson 5 Christmas album, if you just said, from 1970, Stevie Wonder's Someday at Christmas in 1967, The Temptations Christmas Card from 1970 as well, The Supremes' Merry Christmas from 1965, and uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles' Our Very Best Christmas from 1968. So, as we mentioned last week, this wasn't a specially produced album of original recordings. This was a compilation of previously released material. And again, I am merely surmising, I'm merely suggesting this may be the reason why it came about. But the album that we covered the week before, Christmas Gift for You, as uh, as Tim said last week, didn't do well when it initially came out because Kennedy was shot and, you know, all the things going on. And it's only with the release of the Apple Records version in the early 70s. The 72. 72. So that gains a lot of traction and a lot of attention. So this is a merely a guess from me that they were certainly influenced by the success of that and thought, well, we've got a load of really belting Christmas songs. Let's put out a compilation and it'll probably sell pretty well. I mean, that seems highly plausible to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything else on background. Do you? No, nope, not at all. As I said, it's really thin. Um, okay, so how did you first come across the album? Okay, so researching this clash is the first time I've ever listened to the album as a whole. But um, many of the songs I am uh, very familiar with for exactly the same reason as we said last week. If you go shopping anywhere after the end of Halloween, then you're going to hear a lot of these tracks played in the shops. And on radio and on any Christmas compilation album you buy. So, yeah, familiar with many of the songs, but first listen to the album as a whole. How about you? So I had listened to the album as a whole before. You, you know how sometimes you go back through a back catalogue of some artists, and so for quite a while I was trying to get a copy of this, which I couldn't, I couldn't buy a CD copy and I couldn't find... Well, couldn't find a copy on the internet, we'll put it that way. So I have... I did eventually manage to get a copy and listen to it about five years ago, but I was aware of it for quite a long time. And as you said, like a lot of the songs you've heard over the course of many Christmases. Very much so. Artwork. 
So, yeah, artwork. So it's quite hard to describe, really. It is. I, I tried I tried writing something, um, and I couldn't really get a good description of it. So there's kind of a, a cartoon sort of moonlight sky scene in the background, and then there's a... Can we just say, it, that is very yellow submarine, that scene, by the way. Yeah, um, and then there's a kind of... I'm not quite sure what it is in the in the middle, to be honest. I think it's supposed to be a stained glass window. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is supposed to depict. It's quite abstract and surrealist. Yeah, it's not any... I mean, there's a lovely purple colour, <laughs> is what we can say. The background... I mean, it's blue, but okay. No, it's per- certainly no, the no, version... It's, it, it's blue. The version I've got is purple. No, it's blue. Okay. <laughs> This is all staying on, by the way. I'm not editing this. This is all going okay. And even this bit that I'm saying right now is going out. Okay. <laughs> all I can say is it's purple. No, it's blue. Okay. Nice font. Great font. Lovely font. Lovely font. font. <laughs> so we said last week it's not really a traditional Christmas font. This is proper. Oh, yeah. This is pure Christmas font. The, you know, the next song is, is hymn number 64. That's how Christmassy this is. Yeah, it's classy. It, it is classy, actually. Very, very classy. It's the kind of font you'd have on a works Christmas do where you've gone to a nice place to have your dinner. <laughs> you've not gone to the Webbies. You, you're actually gone to somewhere nice and they've actually bothered to... You, you have a proper menu. You do, but at the same time, like you always have to pre-order and it's always... A Christmas dinner is always the same frigging choices. All right, for starter, you can have soup or you can have prawn cocktail. For your main course, you can have roast turkey or you can have the veggie option. What, what pudding? You can have Christmas pudding with custard or cheese. I mean, I like all those choices, don't get me wrong, but there's never any variety. Don't pretend you're something you're not with the fancy fonts and the fancy... Just fucking say, it's Christmas dinner, lads. You know what it is. Oh, no, like the, the place we're going... Sorry, the place we've been when this comes <laughs> out. <laughs> nice. Good save. Yeah. yeah, like uh, crispy pork belly. Fucking hell. Um, what's the best album cover of the two? I'm going to say the Phil Spector one because Agreed. I can actually describe it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not as weird. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, should, we get, should we get into the songs because there's a lot to get through here? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be as forensic as we often are. <laughs> yeah, strap in. <laughs> so, let's be clear. We are doing the original 24-track release. We will touch on the 1999 re-release, which had an additional track on it. But for the main go-through, we are doing the original 24-track release. So there you go. Okay, so our opening song is Santa Claus is Coming to Town by the Jackson 5. song itself was recorded in 1970 by the Jacksons. and was on their best-selling album, A Jackson 5 Christmas. And it is the second best version of this song. We'll come to that. No, no, no. Well, it is the second. It's a factual no. statement. <laughs> no, that's incorrect. Um, it sold 400,000 copies and certified gold in the UK. It reached number 30 in the UK and 45 on the US Billboard. And that's relatively recently. Oh, okay. Um, so in the sort of last 10 years, it's through streaming and everything, it's become yeah. increasingly popular. I think this is superior to the version that we heard on the album last week. You are incorrect. I mean, it's it's great. So let's be serious for a second. It's great. I really like the beat. I think the guitar is really funky. It's got that great sort of 70s, you know, what you love about the Jackson 5, let's be honest. It's got a great bass as well. It has. Michael sounds fantastic singing it. 
the harmonies that his brothers provide are, are just lovely. But in the words of Roy Walker, it's good, but it's not the one. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I have always preferred the Crystals version. I disagree. I think this is the better version, but it is a personal tasting. So, now here's an... I don't want to spend too long on this. We've got a lot of songs to get through. But I'm interested, is this the first version you heard? I couldn't say for sure, but I'm maybe. The Spectre one is the first version I heard, and I, 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 I'm I, certain that is playing a part in mm-hmm. in my film. As I said last week, I think it's the definitive version of that song. I love it. I think, I think this is great, but that's better for me. So, anyway... There you go. Would you care to substantiate your view that it's the better version, or is it just a personal toys, personal um, taste? I think that it's got an attitude to it. So it's got the funky bass, it's got a great wailing guitar, the band sound amazing, the harmonies are perfect. Michael Jackson, as you know, the voice is absolutely perfect. And I'm not saying that the Crystals version, like they sounded bad, but to me, this absolutely fills my heart with joy whenever I hear it. Okay, fair enough. Again, I don't disagree with anything that you've said about why you like the song. I just prefer the other one. So yeah, and I think I think what we'll find as we go through a lot of these songs is that it'll come down to personal, yeah. like either the first, like which was the first one you heard, or just a personal choice thing. There are certainly tracks later in this album where, exactly as you said, there's an attitude to it, which means I prefer the version that is on this album than, than other versions I've heard, mm-hmm. but this isn't one of them. Okay, so we move on to What Christmas Means to Me by Stevie Wonder, written by the in-house Motown writing crew. So there is a credit for previous discussee on um, Album Clash, Anna Gordy Gay. Yeah, Marvin's first wife. Yes, and George Gordy, also Alan's story as well. I mean, it's a fucking belter. I've always loved this song. It's great. As we've discussed before with Stevie, there's some fucking top gob iron work. There is. It's a brilliant up-tempo number. It, there's a lovely balance to the song, the brass and the bass. And Stevie sounds so good. He does. It absolutely does. Yeah, like you said, the harmonica solo is phenomenal. It's... Uh, his voice is, is tremendous. The rhythm section, the beat, it's got me clicking my fingers along with it, you know. Yeah. And yeah, that bass line is just wonderful. And it's a funny thing that I think this song has sort of been rediscovered yeah. recently that yeah. it's kind of, it, it wasn't really, be, it wasn't... It was a bit forgotten. It was a bit forgotten. It wasn't a Christmas song that was on the hard rotation of yeah. your normal ones. And then it's sort of been rediscovered recently. Yeah. And, Agreed. You know, it's a good thing because it's a belter. It is a belter. Again, you got to love the sleigh bells. They sound great. Yeah. Everything about it. Okay. Cover versions, if I may, including, so several people have covered this, including Darlene Love, to link us back to last mm-hmm. week, on Vogue. Mm-hmm. Paul Young. Santa Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your brother's Hanson. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and the Olsen twin. <laughs> there is only one. <laughs> uh, but not the bubble, thankfully. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> really like it. Good song. Yeah, it's great. Okay, move on to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by The Temptations. It reached number three on the Billboard Christmas chart in 1971. I mean, fuck. <laughs> like, when I first heard it, I wasn't sure about the start. But once it kicks in... So that's really interesting. 
I love the way it starts. It's like a soulful crooning start to it, and they sound great singing that. Very knacking cold the way it starts. Mm-hmm. But then, then they bring the funk. Oh boy, they bring <laughs> the funk. This is exactly what I want when I come to The Temptations. It's what I really want when I come to a Motown Christmas album. I want you to bring the funk with it. I want you to absolutely layer it um, in a way that it doesn't... No other record label is going to be producing this. So let let me speak about a couple of things musically. So there's a guitar riff that just wanders all over the track, which puts me in mind of Backdoor Santa by Clarence Carter. It's always a good place to be, Backdoor Santa. It is, and it's a song that I may be bringing up in our bonus show. Who knows? Possibly. Melvin Franklin's bass vocal, fucking hell, like... Just come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, ride that sleigh tonight. It's just love it, love it, love it. And then the end, like the way they end it. Why don't you get my sleigh? It's fucking great. I love it. It's it's just so brilliant. Uh, I absolutely love this. Yeah, all kinds of good. Uh, so yeah, like three songs in, very very strong. Absolutely right. And then, <laughs> and then we move on to my favorite things by the Supremes. So. First thing. Well, it's got fuck all to do with Christmas. What's it got? What's it on here? It's not only a Christmas song. Is this literally because, oh, like everyone sticks the sound of music on on Boxing Day, so let's fucking sing, like... Fuck it. No, I bet it's because, like, Diana Ross, like, you know, we've got to give her her quota of Christmas songs on this. Right, let me speak about the song. Okay, so obviously it's Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's from The Sound of mm-hmm. Music. As I said, it's got fuck all to do with Christmas, other than The Sound of Music is always on at Christmas, so fine, okay. And they're not, this wasn't the first time, and it certainly hasn't been the last time they've put on a, every fucker puts this on their Christmas album. Why? Anyway. I find Julie Andrews, and therefore the sound of music, intensely annoying. Okay? So I'm not predisposed to like this song. But, I think this version has got a really nice rhythm to it. It's, I get huge Dave Burbeck take five vibes from the rhythm of this song, and that's got to be a good thing, for starters. I think the brass section is really good. I think Diana Ross sounds incredible singing it, I've got to say. It's not a song that I like, but I think this is by far the best version I've ever heard of it. And, yeah, I I think it's an odd choice on here. It's definitely a come down after the first three. But I can't sit here and say that I actively dislike it because there is actually quite a lot to like on here. Okay, so... Firstly, you've tried to make it Christmas by sticking a few sleigh bells on it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Behave. Like, that doesn't make it Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. And, because, and the reason I don't like it, I don't. I think Diana Ross does her best that she can with it, but the arrangement, it's so Broadway, and that's my problem with it. But it's a, it's a song from a musical production, Kev. What yeah. else could they do with it? No, but that's part of the problem. It's like, okay, if you're going to get the Supremes to cover a song, do something with it. Like, why, why are you just doing it as, like, a straight Broadway style? Like, if I wanted a musical theatre version, then I'd just go watch The Sound of Music. Like, I don't think they've done anything interesting with it. For, for uh, me, anyway. With that, I do, I, I do quite strongly disagree. This is this some actual, actual debate? Well, I do really disagree with you there because I think the jazz rhythm to it is completely different to anything you hear on Broadway. You stuck this in a, a, in the middle of a Broadway production. You'd have people walking out going, nah. "Well, they've made it woke." You would, you would. 
all the white folks would be up in arms. Well, that's because if it, well, if Diana Ross was singing it, then they'd be, <laughs> white America um, has an issue. <laughs> so, I don't like this song. Neither of us are fans of musical theatre. Okay, that's pretty obvious by now, surely. But the arrangement is different, and as I said, for that reason, by far, it is my most preferred version of this song. I do think they've done something interesting with it. I do think that I think you're doing her a great disservice by saying she does the best she can. I think she sounds really good on it. It's not the arrangement I've got a problem with. It's the source material. I don't like musical theatre. Obviously, there's one particular Rodgers and Hammerstein song we've talked about before, which we both We're have a great with. fondness for. This isn't one of them. I don't like the sound of music. It's too long. Anyway, I disagree with you. They have done something interesting with it, and for that reason, it deserves some recognition. Okay, fair, fair enough. As for the sound of music, it doesn't have enough Nazis in it. <laughs> it's not got enough Steve McQueen jumping over fences exactly. on it, or failing to jump over fences on a motorcycle anyway. Or Donald Pleasance getting there, getting caught with James Garner. Oh, what a just fucking... Thank you. Oh, you fucking dick. <laughs> You deserve to be put in front of the fucking firing squad for that. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we will move on from our disagreements on that to Deck the Halls, Bring a Torch, Jeanette Isabella by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Yeah. So, I'm not sure why the opening was from a Henry VIII film. (laughs) Because that's what it sounds like. I mean, Smokey sounds great, as he's always going to be. Ooh, okay. I don't agree. Really? No, I think that his voice sounds completely emotionless and without depth on this. (laughs) You compare this to the way he sings Tears of a Clown. It sounds like he's going through the motions for me. I don't think he's... It doesn't sound bad. He's not singing it off-key or anything. It just sounds very emotionally flat. Okay. I, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with you there. I, I think with this one, I'm not sure how I feel about it. So there's bits of it that I like and bit of, bits of it that I don't. I think it's too long. Well, the transition halfway through is, is, is unexpected and it's jarring. I do agree with that. So, and I'm very familiar, obviously, with Deck the Halls, which is a traditional, originally a Welsh Christmas carol called Nos Gallen. Uh, English lyrics written in in 1862 by Scottish musician Thomas Oliphant. Bring a Torch is originally a French carol dating back to the 17th century. I'm not familiar with Bring a Torch at all, apart from this version. No, not at all. I can't say I'm a fan of this. It's odd all the way through. Everything about it, like you said, the start is really weird. I don't think... Again, Smokey's not singing it off-key. It just sounds... (sighs) He sounds bored, to be honest with you, singing it. Okay. And, um, yeah, that transition halfway through just doesn't work for me. I'm not a fan of this, sorry. Okay. I'm not as not as critical as you, but I'd say that neither of us were absolutely enamoured with it. So we'll move on to I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus by the Jacksons. Much better. What an opening. Oh, yes. I mean, so, as we said last week, as well as clearly being an advocate of slave labour, he fucking gets around Santa, doesn't he? Poor old Mrs. Claus. Well, we're not even going to delve into backdoor Santa. <laughs> Ronnie Spector's mum last week, fucking M- Michael's mum this week, he's a rum that Santa Claus. Or Mrs. Claus. Can we just say, though, like, so Michael going, I'm going to tell my daddy. Like, fuck off, Michael, you little fucking grass. <laughs> Absolute rat. Fucking snitches get stitches, lad. 
<laughs> you think you're getting coal? You fucking wait and see, lad. <laughs> and as I mentioned last week, Michael Jackson protesting loudly that, no, 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 believe me, that's what really happened. Let's... Yeah, let's move on from that. <laughs> Um, I mean, the production is great. The chorus yeah. is amazing. Yeah, there's an absolutely phenomenal conga solo in the middle. It's great when the breakdown. It's fucking brilliant, isn't it? It's just so yeah. like so. Uh, it, that was something that I I only heard when I was listening to it on head on headphones. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it's, it's brilliant. Love it. So it was this was my least favorite track on the Phil Spector album last week. Uh, that is very much not the case this week. I think this is brilliant. Love it. Yeah, this is very much the better version. Agreed. Yeah. So we've actually found some common ground. So on that, we shall move on to the next song on the album, which is Ave Maria by Stevie Wonder. Beautiful. <sighs> Mesmerizing. Mesmerizing is absolutely right. It's, I mean. Ave Maria is a beautiful piece of music, and Stevie performs it just wonderfully. That so you got the harp, mm-hmm. which is just makes you melt. Who would have thought that Ave Maria would lend itself to a fucking harmonica solo? I know, but here we are. It sounds great. Great gob iron. It is, isn't it? It's phenomenal. The only the only question that I have in terms of this because. The simplicity, the arrangement is great. Everything about it is amazing. Is it a Christmas song? No. It's not even about... Well, no, it's not a Christmas song. Just because it's about Mary? No, it's not. Well, I mean, Catholics find a way to shoehorn Mary into everything, to be fair. (laughs) I'm allowed to say that. I mean, that's not the worst thing Catholics have shoehorned into places that are not welcome. (laughs) Look, we're not we're not covering spotlight this week. <laughs> I mean, we've gone very quickly from the the mesmerizing sound of Ave Maria <laughs> to and undercut it with smut. Noncing priests, <laughs> smutty nonces. Uh, okay, it, so Ave Maria, written in eighteen twenty-five by Franz Schubert. It's hard to find a bad version of Ave Maria, but I have found one. I have found it's one. It's by Kev. Mickey Bubbles. Of course, it's by fucking Mickey Bubbles. I mean, who the fuck do you think you are, fucking Michael Bublé, that you can sing this? Fucking get in the bin. <sighs> okay, so let's move on. No, uh, so I've just got one more thing to okay. say. Uh, as much as I, 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 I do love this version, and I do love Ave Maria. Uh, I can't but th- I can't help but think of the end of a live <laughs> because it's played at the end of a live. Pass me another hunk of uh, co-pilot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautifully performed. Love it. Yeah, Stevie again is boss. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we move on to Silent Night, performed by The Temptations. <sighs> again, a lovely, really simple arrangement which works really well. It does. So in contrast to last week, it's nice to actually get to hear the song Silent Night. Yeah. And let's be honest, the Bavarians, they just get Christmas, don't they? They just, you know, they do. They do. They get they get Christmas and fascism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, actually. I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
They also get beer, in fairness. They do, to be fair. So, yeah, it's a beautiful song. As you said, the simplicity of the arrangement is great. So in complete contrast, almost, to their version of Rudolph, they treat this with such reverence. It's it's really stripped back, but because of that, the vocal performance is absolutely elevated, and it's great. It's so good. So one of the things I've always loved about The Temptations, and it's very clear on this, their voices complement each other mm-hmm. so well. Because you've got all across the, the, the vocal range, you know, Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it is. I mean, and we've had two beautiful songs next to each other. We have. Okay. So, we move on to Little Christmas Tree. Do you know who this song was written by? I don't, actually. Uh, it was performed by Michael Jackson, but I don't know who's... Did he write it? George Clinton. Uh, what? Parliament Funkadelic George Clinton? Yep, that's George Clinton. Well, there you go. I mean, it doesn't make me like it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've written it sickeningly saccharine. It's performed well. You get a kid to sing a sweet song about a Christmas tree, you know. I'm okay with it. It sounds good and it's performed well. Okay. It it would not be my go-to Christmas song, but I don't think it's bad. I'm not an advocate of skipping songs on albums. I mean, this is literally a podcast about listening to the whole of albums. So, you know, were I an advocate of skipping songs, this is definitely a skipper for me. Okay, fair enough. We don't really have a huge amount to say that about that, so we'll we will move on to God rest ye merry gentlemen, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not keen on it. Again, much like on favourite things, there are things to admire here. I like the three four time in which it's played. Mm-hmm. I like the staccato vocals that open it up. God rest ye merry gentlemen. It's nice. It's something that you've not heard before, something different. Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting take on a traditional song. These traditional Christmas carols don't necessarily scream jazz pop. That's what this is. And whilst I don't love it, I admire it. So, Hive Mind has finally come to fruition. (laughs) So my note is, whilst I'm not keen on it, at least it tries to do something different. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, neither of us are huge fans of it, but... It's doing something interesting. And, you know, we've talked about when when you cover something, try and do your own spin on it. Try and do something with it. Don't just do a karaoke version, boob-like. So, yeah, I'm fine I'm fine with doing something a bit different. It just, yeah. for me, it doesn't work. No, fair enough. I, I get that. I'd say, so we're two songs in, in terms of the Smokey Robinson songs, and they're both quite odd choices, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, I'm not as not as opposed to the Deck the Halls version, but neither of them are amazing, as as we've taught. Stevie, Stevie's knocking it out of the park with his ones. Well, exactly, exactly. I, I, yeah, I agree. Of the two so far, this is by far the better, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but but anyway, I think we've we've covered it. Okay, so we move on to the Christmas song, better known as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, performed Mm. by the Jackson Five. Yeah. Written in 1945 by Robert Mells and Mel Torme. I think the most famous version was the first version, and that's the one by Nat King Cole. Oh, my God, the list of people that have sung this song, Kev. (laughs) The list is so long. You and I have basically done a fucking version of it. Anyway, right, here's a few. Ariana Grande. Christina Aguilera, of course. Celine Dion. Jesus Christ. And yes, Michael fucking 
Buble. And there was me hoping that the fall had done a version. <laughs> they probably have. Yeah. Right. Who's the worst Michael? Buble or Bay? Bay. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not a hard choice, though. I mean, this is a lovely song. Mm-hmm. The Christmas song. I think this arrangement is nice. It's very well performed by everyone. Mm-hmm. But it ain't that King Cole. I've mind. <laughs> it's fine, but it's not a particularly memorable version. And everything is always eclipsed by the Nat King Cole version. Yeah. Because exactly. it is it's the it is the definitive version and anything anything else pales in comparison. I mean Nat King Cole's mellifluous syrupy voice, it's just wonderful on that song. Pure log fire. Exactly, it's warming. It yeah. makes you feel cozy. Lock fire, mulled wine, yeah, leather back chair. A nice aged brie. Yeah, all kinds of lovely stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I can't say anything else about this. Okay, so we will move on again to Joy to the World, performed by the Supremes. So, I, my first note, surprisingly martial drumming to it. That's exactly what I've said. I like the fact that it's performed as a military march, mm-hmm. but I don't quite understand the choice. No, it, it works, but it shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So, it's another traditional carol, written all the way back in 1719 by English minister Isaac Watts. What do you think? It's quite a perky performance, and I think the vocals are great. It surprisingly works. Like I think it. Like I think I do actually like it. It's not what I expected, but it certainly works as a as a performance for me. Yes, I agree. But it's not Aretha's version. No, which is mind blowing. I mean, we've spoken of my love and your love for Aretha before. Yeah, and that is just belting again. So- much like as when we discussed the previous song. When you've got someone like Nat King Cole or Aretha Franklin doing a potentially yeah. definitive version, then it's a high bar to to, to get over, really. Fair point. And, um, yeah, a, a, as good as this is, there is a version I prefer. So there you go. Okay. So then we move on to The Little Drummer Boy by uh, The Temptations. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Yeah. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. So I, I really like it. I think the, arra- the simple arrangement with a really good vocal performance and the way that the complexity to the music sort of gradually increases. So you bring in the brass, the organs, the drums, the piano, just gradually. It all works really well to, to develop the song. It, it And by the end, it becomes a really sort of epic piece, which you don't think you're going to get to at the start. You are, you, the song is a bit of a journey. Yeah, it is. A couple of things. I think it's a really clever choice to follow Joy to the World with this because obviously this is a military march in the mm-hmm. way it's played. So it, it, rhythmically it follows on well. Again, I really love the vocal harmonies that these guys come up with. It's it's beautiful and it, it works really well on this song. I agree that it builds nicely and that there's things come in that, that nothing ever dominates but there's mm-hmm. just layers and layers that, that come in and just create a nice soundscape. I have never been a particularly big fan of any version of this song. I hate the Bowie and Bing Crosby version, by the way. I'm sorry. I, 
unsurprisingly, I'm going to show my bias. Pom pom pom. Hate it. Anyway, love it. I like this version a lot more than any other version I've heard. <laughs> Covers. So there's Bowie and Bing Crosby. Who said Boney M. Johnny Cash. Never heard Johnny Cash's version. So there is a Johnny Cash Christmas album. Well, he really, he recorded a lot of Christmas albums, but in the aftermath of his death, um, I think Sony put together a kind of compilation of his best Christmas songs, and it, okay. it does make that Rolling Stone list. Okay, fair enough. Justin Bieber's covered it. <laughs> but here's the one. <laughs> here's the one. Here's the one. <laughs> And Kev, I could give you a billion guesses and you're never getting it, unless you've looked at the same Wikipedia article I have, which you probably have. No, I don't think I have, so I'm going to go KLF. <laughs> no, more bizarre. Really? Terry Wogan and Alid Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I had to switch my mic off because I was actually choking to death. <laughs> So anyone doesn't know, Terry Wogan was a Irish radio DJ, stroke chat show host on the BBC for like ages through our youth. Anyway, Ali Jones was a, a chorus there. He sung "Walking in the Air." You know the Snowman, exactly. Yeah. The, you know we're walking in the air. They did a version of this, apparently. <laughs> Who knew? Exactly. No, as I said, this has never been one of my favourite Christmas songs, but I like this version. I like the Temptations a lot, so yeah, you know they're they're really good. Yeah. Okay, so we will move on to Silver Bells by the Supremes. So what I will honestly admit to, my first encounter with the song Silver Bells is actually the Bill Murray Christmas film Scrooged, where it's sang in sort of the background for one of the things that they're they're putting on on the, the TV. One of the trailers, yep. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know it particularly well. I think it's like a Robert Goulet's Cajun Christmas or something like that. <laughs> I, right, I'm going to go and watch Scrooge. Yeah, finish this it's such it's a good film. Christmas film. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, well, it was written in 1950 by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, Roy's lad. First recorded by Bing Crosby and Carol Richards. I mean, you fucking know who's covered it. I'm not even going to mention his name anymore. Yeah. All I've written here... It's not for me, this one. And at this point in the album, I'm starting to flag a little bit. Okay. I think it's a, it's a really nice performance. It's a simple but effective arrangement. So the vocals, the strings and the bass work well. It's not my favourite song on the album, but I think, I think it's perfectly cromulent. <sighs> this is one where I've praised Diana Ross's vocal performance on previous tracks. <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad performance, far from it. You know, she's a phenomenal singer. Her voice just annoys me a little bit on this. It's too <sighs> mawkish, actually. It's the only word I can, okay. just, I can use. It's just, it's a bit too sugary. I can see that. Yeah, as I said, at this point in the album, I am flagging a little bit, I have to say. Well, we've got a long way still to go, so hopefully our next song will pick you back up because it's Someday at Christmas by Stevie Wonder. And I will hold my hand up and admit that I may well be biased, but I think it's a fucking belter. So just when I thought I was out, Stevie <laughs> pulls me back in. Every time. And that is, well, and I, yes, every time. Come back to me on that later. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I, it, the song itself isn't spectacular, but the way Stevie sings it, 
It's just brilliant. It it's brilliant. Well, it it he makes what could be quite a saccharine arrangement and gives it a charm, gives it a as you say quite like something that pulls you pulls you right in and keep keeps you entertained for the length of the song. And I think it's something in the way he sings songs. And you hear it nowadays in you look up the way Beyonce, not my favourite artist, but I mean she can fucking belt out a tune. Let's be honest with you, you know. Yeah, we've 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 got to say that Beyonce is good at the singing, and the way she can make a melody sound at the same time simple and catchy, but also really complex, mm-hmm. and not something your average everyday karaoke singer can do. Let's be honest with you. That's what Stevie does as well, and that's what he does on this. Yeah, as a, it's a really simple melody. It's really simple musically. This, but it's all about his performance. I really, really, really like this. It's, this revived me from something of a lull. Yeah, well, it's Stevie Wonder, and mm-hmm. we've already said how much we love him. So yes, indeed. Okay, let's move on to Frosty the Snowman, performed by the Jackson Five. I mean, we are banging the banging the early seventies with with this song. It could almost be lifted from the soundtrack of a very shaft Christmas if such a thing existed. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it is. You you've gotta love the absolute funky guitars. Yep. The Jackson Five's vocals again are are great. And um, I mean it properly ends well and all. Oh yeah. It it, it does indeed. But it's not the Ronettes. Nah, I'm sorry. I'm having, I'm having the funk of my life here. Yes, but it's not. I. It's not Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. It's not the Ronettes. It's not. It's not that classic. Boom, and then you're in. It's not that. It's not that. It's not as good. It's really good, but it's not as. Good. You can have two great versions of the same thing, and one of them has to be better. Well, one of them can be better than the other. This is not the best version. Sorry. I want the funk. I'm sorry, like, I would always go with this version over the Ronettes version. So, but we said last week, and okay, we didn't say it was the best version, but we both agreed it was the definitive version. The yes, it's, version. it's the most well-known version, but I think because this well, version... Well, that's not what definitive means, Kev. That's not what definitive means. I'm going to pull you up on your... Okay, okay. I prefer this version, but I accept that the Ronettes is the definitive version. Okay, fine. So you you accept that I'm right without actually verbally saying you're right, Tim. I fine. No, fine. No. fine I, move on. I accept that you've gone with. Kev, the... we've got loads of songs left, mate. We've not got time. Not got time. Not got no. time. Move on. All, all I move. All I, all I accept is that you clearly have gone with the populist version, the the less esoteric muso version, if you like. Right, one thing I'll say about this, like, so it's great. Uh, it's not the best version. At least it's not the fucking Springsteen version. So, you know. Well, exactly. So we move on to Jingle Bells, performed by Smokey Robinson. I really like this. Yeah, this is more like it, Smokey. Yeah. Funky Bells more like. Exactly, yeah. The bass is fucking brilliant. The guitars are great. Smokey yep. sounds boss. It's yep. dead uplifting. It's not too long. It's exactly what I want from a Motown Christmas album. 100% agree. Couple of facts on this. So, uh, it was written in 1857 by James Lord Pierpont. Lovely name. This, not this version, but Jingle Bells was the very first song to be broadcast from space. Oh, right, okay. By the crew of Gemini 6 
on December the 16th, 1965. Fair enough. Also, fuck off, Bublé. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just move on from Mickey Bubbles. So to to well to actually misquote J.K. Simmons from uh, Whiplash, uh, this is quite my tempo. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's it's great. All kinds of good stuff going on here. Yep. Okay, let's move on to my Christmas tree performed by The Temptations. So, what do you think? It's fine. It's a bit nothing. <laughs> Have you said that as well, have you? So, again, I will read verbatim my note. It's a bit nothing. It's not bad, and it's performed well, but it doesn't really grab me, and it kind of washed over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fine. It's not bad. It's just, it's there. It's, yep. I mean, this this is the this is the thing, and the key difference between the two albums is one is a compilation, yes, and one is a put together piece of work. So, yes. as you as with any compilation, you have you have high points, you have your belters, and you have your what would be skippers or you filling out the album. Yep. And this is album filler. Yeah. yeah. Hold that thought because I'm going to be coming back to that later on. Okay. So uh, we then move on to White Christmas, uh, performed by the Supremes. Interesting version. It's too long. It is too long, but I quite like that it's sort of got, it's got a kind of lounge style to it. (laughs) Ding, 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 (laughs) ding, ding. Yes, it is a lounge version with that piano part in the background. Diana Ross sings it in a very languid way as well. It's also got sumptuous strings. It does. There, There are things to like about it. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting version. It's too long. I'm flagging again by this point in the album. So it's not, whilst it's interesting, it's not great for me. And again, that might be just because, you know, the, we've talked about album length regularly on mm-hmm. Album Clash. This album's 75 minutes long. It's a long album. Yeah. You know, it's 24 tracks. So, you know, yeah, it's just too long. So what I what I did put as a note about it is I could easily see this used in a film for a slightly tragic end to a climactic scene in a Christmas film. So, like, the party's gone wrong or something like that, and there's a slightly tragic element to it. I I can see where you're coming from. I apologise on behalf of Mr. Takagi, but unfortunately he won't be joining (laughs) us for the rest of his life. Uh, No, I can see... uh, Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It's, um... I don't want to give too much away for later on when we do scoring, but if this was on an album of half the length, I think I'd be a lot more fond mm-hmm. of it than I am. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so we then move on to One Little Christmas Tree by Stevie Wonder. Ah, Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. So the first thing I've written here is they fucking are, they know where to place the Stevie songs on this album, don't they? <laughs> if, you need a, if you need a pick-me-up, stick a Stevie track in. So I, I was checking out by this point, and I mean really checking mm-hmm. out every time I've listened to the album. So to pull back the curtain, I messaged you last week, yeah. and I said, this album becomes a real slog. I was checking out, and then this song comes along, and again, it's just, yes, it's really good. The orchestral arrangement on this is just lovely. And I love the way it builds yeah. towards the, the sort of climax, towards the finale. It's lovely. Like, so it's not even the greatest song, but 
his performance, how it's all put together, yeah. it elevates it to such a quality standard that it makes what could be quite an average song in a different pair of hands into something which is just absolutely amazing. I agree entirely. And that's that's basically what I said about Sunday at Christmas as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, good stuff. Like it. Okay. Um, so the next song on the album is Give Love on Christmas Day, uh, performed by the Jackson 5. Uh, the song was written by Motown's uh, writing team, betterly known as The Corporation. No chance in hell! <laughs> <laughs> and it was originally written for the Jackson 5's Christmas album. So, what do you think? It's bad. It's mawkish, it's sentimental, but at least it's short. So, uh, my note was it's a perfectly nice song, it's not particularly memorable, it's performed well, but I don't think it'll be on hard rotation. <laughs> You're far kinder to it than I am, but... Maybe so. So we don't really have a huge amount to say about it, so we'll move on to It's Christmas Time by Smokey Robinson. It's fine, it's all very well done, but it isn't particularly memorable. So I I, I feel bad for the listeners that they think we're shortchanging them, and we probably are, but I've... Not in terms of the recording, but when I was listening to the album, I've checked out by now, so it's too long. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't don't like this. Yeah, it's... Whatever. I have nothing to say about it. I'm sorry, guys, I don't. Okay. (laughs) So then we move on to the children's Christmas song by The Supremes. Oh, I've got stuff to say about this one. (laughs) I thought you would. (laughs) What do you think, Kev? So, it's really saccharine. And I'm talking, you've got candy floss dipped in pure sugar, wrapped in full-fat Coke. And a Mars bar. (laughs) Like, this is a diabetic coma of a song. With sprinkles on top. I hate it. It's not great. Okay. I hate it. It's maudlin from start to finish. Particularly the, okay, kids, gather round. Okay, I know, it's 65. All right, fine, okay. But then, like, not only to do that, but then the kids can't even fucking sing. At least fucking Roy Wood had a bunch of kids that could sing in tune. I made the note, some of the kids sing worse than me. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) I've heard you sing. They don't. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. Sorry. I I, I mean, um, it's going to be no surprise to the listeners that I'm going to be talking about this song again in a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Really, really hate it. Sorry. Annoying doesn't even come close. It's cloying. Uh, it is cloying, yeah. It is cloying. It's it's making my teeth decay thinking about it. Yeah. It's essentially the musical version of sticking a tooth in a cup of Coke and seeing what happens. <laughs> but we know what happens. Well, exactly. Especially if you do with static electricity, an entire civilization will learn to imitate you exactly. <laughs> Seriously, we are headed for a fucking lawsuit. I I live in the tooth building. <laughs> why does bad, why do bad things happen to good people? Oh, I'll get some socks. <laughs> yeah, she'll need socks. Uh, yeah, once again, I I can't say anything musically about it because I I can't penetrate. It's just it's annoying. It's so. It's like that scene in Ghostbusters 2 when the fucking slime encompasses the museum and it, as they say, it looks like a massive blancmange. That's how sickly sweet this is. Okay. So 
we finally finished the album with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas performed by the Jackson 5. Mm. So I think if if you'd cut two or three songs, certainly on this disc anyway, that this is a nice way to end the album. For me, it's a really nice subtle performance with a low-key orchestration. It doesn't require like sort of the vocal gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a, for want of a better phrase, a chilled out version that ends brilliantly with a really funky end. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna read my notes, which are similar, to be honest with you. I mean, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It's a lovely song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it it's hard to do a bad version of this. It's nice. And not in an overtly saccharine way that we just talked about. It's a nice song. It is too long. It's far too long. Even before the We Wish You a Merry Christmas kicks in, in the last minute, which is great, really funky, nice. It's still four minutes plus, which it doesn't need to be. It's too slow. It's a nice version. It's not great. And yes, I agree. As I've said, if I mean, you say two or three songs, I think that's been really generous, to be honest with you. I think if this album was had half the number of tracks and this was what closed it, I'd be praising it a lot more than I am. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. That's the best I can say, really. Okay. And there we are. We have covered the 24 original tracks. We have. Do you have any reviews that you want to talk us through? So, not really. I mean, there is an all-music rating of four out of five and there's sort of a very brief review on there where it talks about the vast majority of the songs are recorded during the the label's late 60s peak and infused with the beautiful, soulful vibe which defined the sound of young America at its best. But there aren't a huge number of reviews because... The, the peak moments on this album are better known on other Christmas compilations, yeah. essentially, yeah. that they, they have a life of their own outside of this album. They do. So I'll just read very briefly some excerpts from the Rolling Stone Top 25 Christmas albums, what they said about it. Uh, so it says, I really did see Mummy Kissing Santa Claus, and I'm going to tell my dad. I mean, we've called you a grass already, Michael. You know, don't brag about it. Absolute rat. <laughs> A too cute 1970 Michael Jackson tells his doubting brothers in what might be Christmas Pop's most adorable moment. The rest of this 1973 double album is pretty fantastic too. Motown Cole's tunes from The Miracles, The Supremes, The Jacksons, Temptations and Stevie Wonder with highlights ranging from The Miracles' subtly grooving jingle bells to Wonder's lovely What Christmas Means to Me to The Supremes' awesomely pedagogic children's Christmas song. Hard disagree. Featuring Diana Ross in Sunday school teacher mode, leading a kid's choir. So, again, it's more factual rather than actually talking about the Mm -hmm. album itself. Yeah, exactly that. It speaks to the fact that this is a compilation released of a collection of previous recordings rather than an album of original recordings. And, I mean, you can't really sort of discuss a huge amount of legacy from it because, as I say, the the more successful or better-known Christmas songs off the album have sort of developed a life outside of this compilation that this yeah. compilation is known but it's not like as I, as I said that like I tried to get hold of a copy of it for a number of years and it was quite difficult to yeah. do so so there's only one thing I've got to say about the legacy and that's that it was reissued in 1999 with an extra track tacked onto the end and that extra track completely saves the second disc yeah. It's uh, Marvin Gaye's 
I Want to Come Home for Christmas, which was originally recorded by Marvin in 1972, but not released until after his death on a compilation in 1990. And it's a beautiful piece about a prisoner of war in Vietnam who just wants to come home and see his family at Christmas and for them to stop worrying about him. And it's it's a wonderful piece of music that eclipses pretty much anything else that's on the album, to I mean, be honest with you. It's such a shame that it's not on the original version. Yep. But I suppose that the version that came out was largely Christmas standards as opposed yes. to what that was, which was talking about, well, you know, very much what Marvin was talking about at the time. Yep, exactly that. And as you said, as you posited at the start, it seems entirely plausible that it was, let's say, cobbled together to capitalise on the success of the the Apple Mm re-release of Phil Spector's album. Okay, let's move on to Best Song, Worst Song. Mm. So, what's your best song, what's your worst song? I mean, I'm going to do my worst song first, and it will be absolutely no surprise. It is a children's Christmas song. I really, really dislike it. It annoys me intensely, so easily the worst song. Best song, I mean, if if we had done the 1999 re-release it would be Marvin Gaye but we haven't done so I'm going for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by The Temptations because it's fucking great I mean it's a belting choice what are your choices? Okay, so worst song is exactly the same so it is the children's Christmas song as we said it was saccharine it's cloying it's it's not good at all and I would say that the majority of the Supremes songs on here are fairly weak as are the vast majority of the Smokey Robinson ones, as we've as we've discussed. I mean, there's a sc- as an aside, there's a school of thought, mostly um, promoted by me, that the Supremes got a lot better after Diana Ross had decided to sack them off. But you know, <laughs> so did she. Yes, indeed, so did she. <laughs> um, but the like, it is there are some really high moments. So there's Rudolph. There's Jingle Bells, uh, the Smokey Robinson version. You know, there's Ave Maria, which is beautiful. And Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is the better version. Um, But my favourite song on the album, it's not going to be a huge surprise. It's Stevie Wonder. It's what Christmas means to me. It's a belter. A worthy choice. It is a belter. Okay. Shall we get to scoring? Let's do it. All right. Your choice. So you go first on Phil Spector, second on Motown. Off you go. So the Phil Spector album, A Christmas Gift for You. So it's essentially set the template for Christmas songs pretty much for the next 50 years, 60 years. You know, it's every song has a sleigh bell on it to indicate that it's Christmas and it's after this. (laughs) There's so many great songs on it. And it works so well as a piece. It has my favourite Christmas song on it. So it gets a lot of points for that. However, it's not entirely consistent. And the ending of the album, After Darling Love, it does leave you with kind of a disappointment, particularly the last track. So it's not perfect. It's almost there. And if Phil Spector could have helped himself, then it could have been perfect. But he didn't, so it's an 8 out of 10. Okay. It, phenomenal, this album. It's the definitive collection of Christmas, well, or winter <laughs> songs. I, I agree with what the reviews that we read, read last week said. It is not just a great Christmas album. It is a great pop album. 
even the tracks that I'm not hugely fond of have got something to offer. Mm-hmm. It's an all-time classic. As we said last week, there's so many of the tracks on that album that are the definitive versions of those songs that have made it to so many bargain bin Christmas compilation albums and the like. It's the standard by which all Christmas albums should and will always be measured. But yes, it is not perfect. Yes, the ending does tail off after Baby Please Come Home. And there is a couple of other songs earlier in that that miss rather than hit. So I agree with you. 8 out of 10 is the right score. So that means uh, a Christmas gift to you gets 16 out of 20. Should I do my score on a Motown Christmas? So yeah, it's you to lead on a Motown Christmas. Okay. There are a lot of fantastic songs on this album and again many of them are classics of the genre and as you said are really evocative of the time of the early 70s in which they were recorded or many of them were recorded anyway but it's too long it's 75 minutes long it's 24 tracks it's too much and within that 24 tracks, there's an awful lot of filler. And the second disc leaves a lot to be desired. I think there are 12 or 13 songs on here that, if they were on their own more self-contained album, if you like, would rival what we've just talked about in A Christmas Gift to You. And if the original release had had the Marvin Gaye song, then it would have ended on a far more... Well, not positive, because it's a very sad song but enjoyable note anyway but it doesn't we've gone 24 tracks and i've really struggled through disc two it was only really the stevie wonder tracks and the Smokey robinson jingle bells that recovered me on disc two so i'm really sorry but i'm going to give this five and a half and i'd like to give it more but i can't it's too long okay so yeah it's your score, although a Motown Christmas cannot win unless you decide to give it more than 10 out of 10. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> okay, over to you. So it, it has some really high moments. There are some absolute belters on there, you know, and as we've said, the, the Stevie Wonder and largely most of the Temptations, and, and to be fair, most of the Jackson's tracks are really well performed. But... With it being a compilation, the quality level is not consistent and it does waver a lot. As you said, the second disc, it you you have to work at it, yeah. and that that's never a good sign with an album. So there's there are some belting moments in there, but it's nowhere near the Phil Spector album. I don't mark it as harshly as you, but I still don't think that there's enough going on there. So I'm got. I'm going with a six and a half and I think I'm being generous with the six and a half because of how good all the Stevie Wonder songs <laughs> are on it because Stevie always gets an extra bonus um, for being Stevie Wonder. So we should have reviewed Someday at Christmas, the the album, really. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you are being extremely generous there, uh, it, but it, it, it's, uh, it's a moo point because it only gets 12. So it's, it is a comfortable victory for Phil Spector. It is, and quite rightly so. And quite rightly so, exactly that. Yeah, so well done. 
uh, Phil Spector and the Phil Les Coterie of Artists. You have won the Christmas album clash with 16 ho-ho-hos out of 20. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess people want to know where we're going next. So um, we are going to try and record a bonus pod for your delectation over the Christmas period, which will be ourselves and some special guests coming to talk about our favourite Christmas songs or some Christmas songs of note. Talk about and rank our favourite Christmas songs. You know, this is album clash. Indeed. So, you know, we are hoping to to do that in the in the meantime. And then we will be starting our new season yeah. coming for the new year, which is something that Tim is very excited about. And it's your oh, choice yeah. as well. It, it is my choice. So, so, yes, we paused our Musical Cities road trip and we will return to that in time, but not just yet. Uh, so we are going to do a season which I have been dying to do for ages. Pretty much since we started Album Clash, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Honestly, it's been like holding a dog back um, <laughs> before their food. <laughs> uh, we're going Electro, Kev. We are. It will be Electro Clash. We are, it will be Electro Clash. We will be charting the history of electronic music uh, over the next few clashes. And... Yes, it's my choice for how we kick that clash off. And so I want to go almost right back to the beginning. I say almost because, listen guys, I could go really obscure, but we need to retain the few listeners we have on this show. You're not going radiophonic workshop, are you? No, I'm not. No. No, we're going back to the mid-70s for both of the albums that we're going to do on the next clash. Uh, So uh, next week we're going to Germany which won't come as any surprise to anyone. It's a band I've mentioned many times on Album Clash before, and we are doing Kraftwerk's 1974 breakout album, Autobahn. And what will Autobahn be up against? So, I thought long and hard about what to put Autobahn up against. And there are many of their German contemporaries that I could have chosen, but... A lot of it is very difficult to penetrate, let me just say that. And so I've not chosen another German artist. We're going to shoot forward only two years in time, and we're going to cross the Maginot line into France. (laughs) Not the first time. (laughs) And so in two weeks' time, Kev, I would like you to take us through Jean-Michel Jarre's breakout album, Oxygen. Oh. <laughs> boo, 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 boo. Wow. Champions League tastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. Alan Partridge tastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I said, I've been very excited about doing this season for a long time, and this is a class that I'm really looking forward to. Full disclosure, guys, these are two albums that I have um, loved for a very long time. Let's just say that. So, what I will, so full disclosure from me is that. I have listened to Autobahn. I have readily mocked Jean-Michel Jarre for a long time um, mm-hmm. without, and I will be honest, without listening to his album. So I am prepared to be educated on this. So I'd be really interested to hear your views on it. I mean, yeah, let's just let, let's hold that. So yeah, there you go. There's your homework. Next week, I'm going to take us through Autobahn. Two weeks' time, Kev's doing Oxygen. Two shortish albums as well, in terms of tracks anyway. We've mm-hmm. got a five-tracker and a six-tracker, so you know. Yeah, but we'll still manage to do about an hour and 20 on them. Well, one of the tracks on Autobahn is over 20 minutes long, so... 
Yeah, so there you go. That's what you got to research. But yes, as Kev said, in the meantime, we are very hopeful that in, well, in just two days, I'm hoping I can drop it on Christmas Day, it's the bonus Christmas songs clash. If that doesn't happen, then, well, you know, there you go. But yeah, okay, Kev, Twitter, Insta, go on. So, for once, I'm actually going to reference something relatively positive. So... Whilst on Twitter, you could check out the band Deco and their absolutely amazing 80s synth cover of Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like, so our Twitter account did retweet it. Check it out because it's utterly, utterly amazing. Incredible. Yes. Um, So as our last sort of Christmas episode, I wanted to leave you with something positive for you to check out. So please do that. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, the lizards at Instagram will have stopped um, blocking us and banning us, and we will actually be able to supply you with quality curated content. But if we're not back up on Insta then, then you can always send us an email to albumclash at gmail.com. Great stuff, although just to be clear, you neglected to tell anyone either our Insta handle or our Twitter handle. Both of them are at Clash Album, so there you go. Yeah. It's Christmas, who cares? Well, I didn't really want to mention the Insta one, just in case they try and ban us again. (laughs) Absolute lizards. (laughs) Right, there you go. Like, if you're listening to this uh, and it's Christmas Eve or whatever, then fair play to you. Thanks very much. Yeah, cheers for listening. Um, And I hope um, we genuinely hope you have a lovely Christmas with whoever and whatever you're doing. Exactly that, including if you don't celebrate Christmas, then, you know, sound. Whatever you're doing over this period, we hope you're having a lovely time. Thank you so much for listening, and, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, if you if you celebrate Christmas, if you don't, have a, have a boss time. Thanks, guys. Just a reminder, for next week, you need to listen to Kraftwerk's Autobahn, and uh, in two weeks' time, you need to listen to... Uh, Jean-Michel Jarre's... Oxygen. That's why I gave you oxygen, so you can do the bad French accent. I am going to be doing the <laughs> most, most outrageous French accent. <laughs> yep, yeah, sound. Okay, uh, until next time then, I've been Tim. I've been Christmas Kev. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Ta-da. Ta-da.